Welcome to the My Psychology Podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Andy Pomerantz, and I'm a psychology professor at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. I also happen to be the author of the My Psychology textbook from Macmillan Learning. In each episode of this podcast, instructors from various colleges and universities join me to talk about the most important and most interesting parts of the chapter to help you understand and appreciate them. As we do, we will share some stories about our own experiences with concepts from the chapter from inside or outside of the classroom. Okay, in this episode, we will be focusing on uh, chapter number four, which is the chapter on consciousness. So first, let me welcome Deborah Roberts. She is a professor of psychology and the chair of the psychology department at Howard University in Washington, D.C. Hi, Deborah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. And we are also joined by Stephen Bonnet, who is a professor of psychology at San Jacinto College in Houston, Texas. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. So here's a quick summary of chapter four, consciousness. The chapter starts with sleep, why we need it, what happens when we don't get enough of it, the stages of sleep, including REM sleep, circadian rhythms, individual differences in sleep patterns, co-sleeping, sleep abnormalities, and habits for good sleep. It then briefly discusses dreams and hypnosis before moving on to a description of various psychoactive drugs, including depressants, stimulants, opioids, and hallucinogens, and problems like tolerance, withdrawal, and addiction that can occur with them. Finally, the chapter focuses on other altered states of consciousness like meditation, mindfulness, deja vu, and near-death experiences. So, Deborah, I'll start with you. Can you share one of the topics that, that you think is most interesting and most important for our students? Sure. Yeah. I particularly think that the sleep deprivation, understanding sleep deprivation and some of its associated consequences is really important. So I think if students start by understanding that we need sleep (laughs) and that about 35% of adults don't get enough sleep, at least in our society, And particularly for this demographic, intro psych, we're assuming that a lot of them are late adolescents, you know, early adults, and sleep deprivation is very prevalent within this population. So I think it is a good thing to understand the importance of sleep and some of the consequences. There are a few more in the book, but two that I would focus on are cognitive slowing which of course is important when you're trying to study and progress through an academic program. You don't want your cognition to slow down and also cognitive rigidity. So I think sleep deprivation and two associated consequences, cognitive slowing and cognitive rigidity. Yeah. And can you explain the cognitive rigidity experience? What, what, What exactly that means? Yeah. Basically, you are unable to tap into your creativity. So you're sort of rigid or focused on some particular things. You're less likely to create original masterpiece. These are your words, Andy, (laughs) as the author of the textbook. And you talk about not being able to come up with witty comments, which I think is really great when talking with friends. And and nobody in intro psych wants their capacity to tap into their creativity to be limited (laughs) in any way. So sleep deprivation contributes to that. And so you want to understand that. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up this topic. Uh, Steven, any thoughts about the sleep deprivation topic? Absolutely. That's like, that's probably the, 
number one thing from this chapter that I spent time on just because I'm coming from a wellness perspective whenever I teach my classes. And so I, I immediately start, start off by like, well, I can assume that half the room hasn't gotten enough sleep last night. And, you know, it, it kind of leads into a discussion of, you know, things like why, why don't we sleep? And we kind of have this, I guess, cultural stigma or this antithetical way of thinking about sleep that like if you're sleeping you're not working or getting anything done but i like to at least focus on all the things that do happen whenever you sleep and why it's important and show them you know examples of studies that show like okay well if you do sleep after you study something you are more likely to remember it because it sleep is like a really interesting connective fiber to the memory chapter the learning chapter the developmental chapter because you mentioned like the significant amount of adolescents who aren't getting enough sleep that's a critical developmental period and they actually need more sleep than the rest of us do so it it sleep is kind of an ongoing conversation throughout other chapters and it starts here when we start talking about it in the in the consciousness chapter yeah that, I, i'm i'm really intrigued by that that explanation you offered stephen about how people may interpret sleep may think about sleep as essentially a waste of time that you're not getting oh, anything yeah. done you're not being productive in some way well we were all in college at one point right we all were uh very well convinced that we needed another three hours of study time and We'll just catch up on sleep, you know, on the weekend or something. And I always like to ask my class, I was like, we always think we're going to catch up on something like sleep on the weekend, right? Would you say that about food? I'll catch up on eating on the weekend, you guys. That's a waste of time right now. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny when I when I teach when I teach about sleep deprivation, I I get a lot of nodding heads in my uh, I don't mean nodding off to sleep. Yeah, I like that you mentioned that, Andy, about the sleep deprivation being something that's not on our radar necessarily, especially in adults who have busy lives. We're used to juggling, you know. Just a couple of days ago, I was driving home from work, and it. You know, I'm on automatic and it's, it's a route I take all the time. And all of a sudden, I my eyes just started feeling heavy and I just started feeling really tired. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I realized that I had been getting up super early to kind of <laughs> watch tennis that was in England, London. So somebody, <laughs> I didn't want to miss Federer. <laughs> that was the other thing I thought was important. But I realized that I was sleep deprived. Like it just, you know, intellectually, I wasn't really thinking about that. And we know all the labels. And I'm like, you know what? I need to like either pull over. I mean, I was close to home. I wasn't, but like you said, it could be dangerous and we don't realize it. And it was because I was sleep deprived. I hadn't gotten enough of, you know, my six hours or five, you know, whatever it is. It was because of Roger Federer. Is that what you're saying there? Hey, you know? <laughs> just thought that yeah it's good to have us be aware that we even when we know better we're also oblivious to the fact that sleep deprivation affects us in so many different ways yeah yeah so Stephen, did you have a, a different topic that you wanted to bring up from this chapter um i think before i really get into the sleep deprivation in my class i spend some time talking about selective attention 
and consciousness and just a general situational awareness and what you're aware of going on around you because we've just we're just coming off of things like sensation and perception and i think when we talk about attention we talk about okay well how is t- attention selective and i i ask you know i'll usually ask like who's in a relationship right now and you've ever had a situation where like all of a sudden you notice that your significant other is like yelling your name at you and you are curious as to why and they usually say well i've been saying your name for about 10 minutes now and you know you're ignoring me you were probably distracted by your phone or you were tired or something you didn't hear somebody saying your name and so it took them you know yelling it to to you for you to pick up on that which ties into how you know things like sleep can affect your attention but i think that focusing on attention is what brings everything into later on when we talk about memory too you know, that's what that's the starting point for information for us. We have to be aware of it. We have to be able to, you know, focus on it in order to do something with it. Yeah, absolutely. Deborah, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, when when you mentioned selective attention, it, it sort of made me go directly to mindfulness, which I know, you know, it's not the same thing, but it it's that was one of my other selections in terms of what I think students might find interesting or as an interesting segue into other things. I think if they focus on mindfulness and try to understand why it's important for us to sort of selectively focus on certain things, it'll prompt them to want to know more about different altered states of consciousness. Yeah. Well, I usually use, uh, I, I illustrate selective attention or really a situation that every student can relate to is you spend an hour and a half sitting in a classroom trying to pay attention, whether you're tired or distracted or whatever, and you walk out of the classroom at the end of the hour and a half and you say to yourself, I have no idea what just happened. I have no idea what I just heard. Or you're reading a book and you get 30 pages in and you're like, when did this guy die? Hold on. And you have to go back and reread because you were you were there like the sensory stuff was there but it just wasn't going past attention you were distracted you weren't focused selective attention is focusing on that one or two particular stimuli and and then actually moving it into like short-term memory conscious awareness and all that and being able to do something and process that information and mindfulness is really the deliberate act of paying attention to things around you. So everything around you. And it has really become a hot topic in the last you know, decade or a little bit longer than that. But scientists are realizing that our ability to be mindful or sort of focus on the sensory inputs around us have real beneficial effects for a lot of our other uh, functioning. So it's related to meditation, but it doesn't have to be. So just if you are drinking a glass of water, it could simply be the act of, as you are drinking the water, paying attention to how it feels when it's going down your throat or what it looks like in the glass as you're tilting it toward your mouth and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So just anything that we're doing, being mindful of that. Okay, let's let's take a short break, and then when we return, we will hear more from Deborah Roberts and from Stephen Bonnet about Chapter Four. 
The My Psychology Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad from Macmillan Learning. When I wrote My Psychology, I wanted students to maximize their connection to the science of psychology, and Launchpad does just that. It's the one place where you can find the full ebook of My Psychology, features like My Take videos, chapter apps, and show me more links, and Macmillan's full library of resources, including videos, flashcards, concept practice activities, and more. Best of all, Launchpad includes the Learning Curve Adaptive Quizzing System, designed based on cognitive research to improve your learning and help you retain information over time. In addition, the Learning Curve algorithm chooses questions based on your performance, delivering a quiz that is unique to you. If you aren't using Launchpad already, you can sign up for a free trial right now. That's right, you can get 21 days of free access right now by visiting launchpadworks.com and searching for my psychology that's launchpadworks.com sign up now for your 21 days of free access and start studying with the learning curve adaptive quizzing system Welcome back. We are with Deborah Roberts from Howard University and Stephen Bonnet from San Jacinto College talking about uh, chapter four of the My Psychology textbook, the chapter on consciousness. Another topic that I'd like to, to bring up from chapter four, the, the consciousness chapter, is the issue of screens at night. And it, that falls into the, into the larger, um, un, under the larger heading of uh, sleep problems, issues with getting to sleep and falling asleep. But just the, the experience of looking at some sort of bright screen and we could be talking about your phone we could be talking about a a tablet of some kind we could be talking about a tv uh in the in the minutes or the hours shortly before you're trying to go to sleep and maybe students are already aware of this before they take our classes maybe maybe some of them are not but that's a bad idea that definitely interferes with the process of falling asleep and it can affect circadian rhythm in, in the in the in the sense that when bright light enters your eyes and I'm, I'm saying it over overly simplistically here but when bright light enters your eyes it tells your brain hey it's daytime stay awake so doing that right before you're trying to fall asleep is is probably not going to be helpful in terms of actually falling asleep not to mention the the content of what you see on those screens when you when you're looking if you were looking at a blank bright screen, which no one does, but if you did that, that in and of itself would be a bad influence on your ability to, to sleep. But there's content on that screen, on, on that bright screen. There's There are text messages from friends or family members. There are things going on in that, in that TV show or that movie that you're watching or that YouTube clip that you're watching that can give rise to some emotions. You can start to feel excited or scared or, or have some other sort of reaction that, again, makes it more difficult to fall asleep. So I hope that when when students read this chapter and when they when they cover it in class, they they are taking note of the 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 consequences that could come from from looking at screens shortly before you go to bed, and kind of thinking about it as a as a honestly as a life skill. Because realistically, for for many many years to come, this is not just a not just a now thing. This is not just not something that's happening while they're while they're taking this class. But as long as they've got a phone or a TV or something else with a, with a bright screen, they're going to be tempted perhaps to look at it before they go to bed and they may want to develop some sort of strategy to, to avoid doing that. Yeah, I think that's really important to alert students to that because with the prevalence of all the devices you mentioned. I've taught about how the effects of screens impact your sleep and, and all that. And I thought I was pretty good about maintaining that. I usually try to, you know, do something like read or journal before bed, not necessarily like I try to advocate for at least a half hour of, of no screens before you actually want to fall asleep. But earlier this year, 
I, I participated in like an, in this 90 day program that included like part of it was severely reduced screen time. So I was only using the computer and my phone for like essential communications uh, for work or, or to talk to family, got rid of all the superfluous apps, games and all of that and, and spent 90 days uh, in an interesting state. And about a few weeks into it, I started realizing one night I was sitting there and I was like, it's, I'm, I'm exhausted. I need to go to bed. And my wife said, it's eight 30 and that hasn't happened in a while. And then I started to realize I'm not, I'm not watching TV. I'm not playing video games or looking at the phone. I'm, I'm doing all these other things that don't have all this bright light and stimuli barraging my brain. And so I, was right back to like what my natural circadian rhythm was. I was like, oh, the sun went down. My brain said, it's time to go to bed. And I started waking up way earlier than I was ever used to waking up too. So it's it's a very real effect, even if you don't think it's all that much, like, oh, I don't really watch that much TV before bed or play on my phone or anything. Even doing that, you know, recommended 30 minutes of no screen time, it can still make a huge difference in how easy it is for you to fall asleep and get good sleep. That's a great story. Yeah. So, Deborah, Stephen, any other topics from Chapter 4 that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, I thought a subcategory of psychoactive drugs, uh, particularly alcohol, I think this is a time in students' lives where, you know, you have a little bit more autonomy and you can really discover the the joys and the downfalls of alcohol consumption. But I think it's important for students to understand that alcohol is a drug, even though it's legal in our society, and that it it's actually a depressant which is usually a surprise to a lot of students. So I think studying that and understanding why it's a depressant and why it's in that category of psychoactive drugs is important for them to learn. Yeah, I've had students argue with me on that, even to the point of saying, well, different kinds of alcohol have different effects. You know, sometimes tequila will do this to you, but, you know, vodka will do this. Like, no, it's all depressant, man. It's, it's all doing the same thing. I think there is some misunderstandings about what alcohol does and and how it affects the brain, but it's important and it's all stuff, you know, that that they've likely heard or uh, or are aware of before, but maybe they haven't had the the scientific evidence or background to like show them, you know, okay, well this is what it does to your brain. These are the different levels of effects that it has. You know, we can all come up with fun stories of alcohol consumption all day long and they're amusing, but it's when they stop being amusing that it needs to be really focused on and be like, okay, well, this is what happened. This is what alcohol can do. And, and I think alcohol and probably caffeine are the two most common psychoactive drugs that you talk about in this, uh, in this chapter that, that students have, they, that they have experience with. And while you have alcohol, one other thing that I usually end up talking to, or at least tying those two substances together with is mixing alcohol with caffeine. And I, I talk about research that shows like the, 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 it's just not a good idea to, to do that. It, it's, it, it leads to all kinds of negative health effects, but it also kind of keeps you from, you know, the, the automatic shutdowns from overconsumption of alcohol. It kind of overrides those things as well if, you, if you're not careful. Yeah, and the the new material in the in the second edition of the of the My Psychology textbook 
includes some coverage of that combination people people drinking alcohol yeah. and um uh energy drinks or highly caffeinated drinks like red bull which is just disgusting <laughs> <laughs> it is it is and the consequences uh, when 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 researchers have studied the consequences the consequences are generally even worse than the consequences of just alcohol alone no it definitely is and i've i've had it brought up before like uh, stories from students who've seen people mixing things like pre-workout supplements with with alcohol and that terrifies me to no end because i don't know if you've ever tried a pre-workout supplement but they make you they if you kind of feel like you're vibrating a little bit sometimes <laughs> it depends on what what's in it um i don't necessarily recommend or like them at all but it's like an energy drink which is just next level energy drink wow Wow. Yeah, with, with my students, when we talk about alcohol, I, I try to emphasize not only the the effects that alcohol has on their on their brains and bodies, like kind of what you would see if they were drinking alcohol in a vacuum, so to speak, but also just sort of the 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 interpersonal or social effects of it. So um Stephen and Deborah, as we're as we're beginning to run out of time for this particular episode of the podcast, any any final thoughts about chapter four, consciousness? Only that uh, topics like sleep and alcohol and caffeine, like all of those things are really common in in the lives of students and, and anybody who like, you know, if you're listening to this, take time to kind of research and just read how sleep, good sleep can make a difference in, you know, your not just your study habit, but your life overall and overall health uh, and, and, you know, managing a lot of these other, uh, these other topics in your life as well. And I think just in addition to understanding consciousness on a social level, just really appreciating the complexity of our physiology and brain. Cause a lot of things we talked about, whether it's sleep or circadian rhythms or the effect of psychoactive drugs, we, we really have to understand the importance of brain chemistry or just our physiology in general. So I think it gives a, a better appreciation for the biology chapter or, you know, other chapters that we may have looked at before this. Yeah. All right. Well, big thanks to, to both uh, Deborah Roberts from Howard University and Stephen Bonnet from San Jacinto College for, for joining us today. And thanks to all of you for listening. We hope this podcast helps you learn and appreciate the material in this chapter. Of course, you should check with your own instructor to see what's most important in your own class. And for more resources for studying this chapter, check out Launchpad at launchpadworks.com. Talk to you again soon.